Bibles to turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. And when you get to Acts chapter 1, I want to just give you a snippet of some lyrics. I want to be running around in your mind. Put those lyrics in front of you because too often we forget. We forget that he is the king and this is his world. His world. We're studying in the book of Acts about this new world that he has, that he has created. And here's what I want to say to all of us this morning. Our worship, as good as it's been, and thank you praise team. Our worship. Is not for us. It's from us to him. Our lives are not for us. Our lives are for him. We live for him in this world. Don Moen expressed these similar uh, uh, feelings in a song where he said, All I am, all that I have, I lay them down to, before you, O Lord. All my regrets all my claim, the joy and the pain, I'm making them yours. And the Course says this, Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through, and use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. You see, that is what it means to become a child of God. That mean, is what it means to become Christian. That's what it means when you walk through the waters of baptism and, you, and you're buried with Christ in baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life. It reminds me that Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. And he didn't die to leave us the same. He died for us. He gave his life on a cross so that I didn't have to die. He gave his life on a cross so you don't have to die for your sin. And then he rose from the grave to make us right before the Father and give us, and give us abundant life here in his new world and eternal life when we pass this life. And scripture is always asked several times, what must I do to be saved? Now, if I don't have your attention, please give me your attention because we have this messed up in our minds. What must I do to be saved? Well, if you come to church, you'll be saved. Well, if you walk down and take the preacher by the hand, you'll be saved. Well, if you'll be faithful, you'll be saved. Well, if you give your tithe, you'll be saved. And all of those things are good and should be a part of the life of a believer. But when the Bible, in the Bible, when it's asked, what must I do to be saved? This is what it said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. But brothers and sisters, friends, the telltale sign of you and me being saved is summed up in one word, obedience. Obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my words. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, keep my words. You say you love me. You, you, you say I'm your Lord. You say you're following me, but you don't keep my words. 
But those who do, who are, who are obedient, get baptized and they get a local congregation to join with and they begin to study to show themselves approved to God. This afternoon I'll be meeting with our children and our students and our teenagers about this progress in their journey. You see, your growth, please listen, a lot of us miss this, your growth in Christ takes you from the old world of mankind to the new world of Jesus. It's a progression that, that you move. And when you get into this new world, listen, you have, a, you have a new life. You have a new focus. You have a new king. You live in a new kingdom. You have a new set of standards. And you have a new future. As we work through the, the book of Acts, we, we are seeing this new world begin to shape. And as we get here today, and for those who weren't here the last couple of weeks, we pick up in verse 8 today, as you see. But, but here's what I want to tell you is that today we get to the part where Jesus is leaving us. The part where Jesus is ascending to heaven. And he's leaving you and me as his child to do the needed work here on, here on planet earth. You see, he's come, he's lived and died, he's put in place this thing called salvation, being saved, being brought from death to light, darkness to light. He's, he's put all this, this, this world that needs salvation so much he has put it into place, and now he leaves us with salvation. But please listen. He puts it in our hands. If the world is going to know about Jesus, if the world's going to be saved, it's going to be because God's people tell it. We are his plan A, and he has no plan B. You know what that means? That means the schools, as good as they are, are not going to give this message. That means the government, for however good or bad it is, is not going to give this message. That means the Lions Club and the JCs not going to give this message. The country club's not going to get if people get this message, it's because going to be because the local church is the hope of the world because the local church is the only one that gives this message and that's you and me. So today let's get the scripture in front of us. Acts one we're going to begin reading in verse 8. If you can and will, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's Word? If you don't have your Bible, your copy of God's Word, two things. There's a, probably a Bible in the pew in front of you, and, and the uh, Scripture is going to be on the screen. We pick it up in verse 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, hang on to this, that suddenly is the verb there. Suddenly. Two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up? Why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, for the balance of this service, I pray that you will remove from our mind any distraction. I pray that this old world 
we'll kind of be looking pale and we will get a, our vision fixed on your new world. I pray that you will touch each heart here and those who need to do business with you. Either they need to come to save in faith or they need to recommit themselves or they need to fully surrender themselves. I pray that today will be the day that they do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're preaching on his new world, this new world. That's what the scripture talks about. This new world is his kingdom. Now, I want to say that again because we're not familiar with that terminology. This new world is his kingdom. Kingdom. We have to understand kingdom. And most of us do not understand kingdom because we live in a democracy. We live in a place where we demand rights, where we have rights, and whatever right becomes a privilege. We know about the First Amendment. We know about the Second Amendment. We've been privy to that. In a kingdom, there are none. The kingdom, in the kingdom, it's different. In the kingdom, you are protected, you are cared for, you are even ruled over by a king. A king has the full rule and reign in his kingdom. The king is the centerpiece of his kingdom. Now, did you get that? Kingdom. Now, if you, if you look at it literally and historically, here's what it is. It is the king's domain or the king's dominion. The kingdom. I offer this tidbit of information about it being a kingdom because as we lift, as the preacher preaches from this book, Emily, everybody wants to think it's about them. It's all about me. Carly, we like to think it's all about me. That preacher needs to just stop preaching about the kingdom. He needs to preach me. Well, you know what? That's not really what the Bible says. Part of the reason we as followers and churches have gotten off track is because we make it about us. Back in 2001, 2002, a guy named Rick Warren released a book entitled The Purpose Driven Life. If you've never used it, I would suggest that you buy it and use it. It's not the Bible, but it sure will help you get your life on track. Rick released that in 2001, 2002. It was on the number one list for a lot of years. But here's the thing. 2004, I believe it was, I went to Lake Forest Ranch for a Purpose Driven Life conference. Now, I was not as old then as I am now, okay? But I was still the oldest guy there. So we had these guys from 18 to 35 there, and as we got in the group and started talking about it, one of them was highly, highly offended because, you see, here's, here's what Rick wrote as he began the Purpose Driven Life. If you open that book on the first page, you have some scriptures up here. You have the big one there for chapter one. And the first four words, Sarah, say, it's not about you. It's not about you. And I'll never forget being stunned as I was sitting there with these young folks. And this guy said, well, I didn't read the book. said, I read those first four words and I threw it down because I wanted it to be about me. With respect to these guys who know that I love them deeply, it's not about you. Don't let it. If we start teaching you it's about you, you call us on it. What goes on in the house, what goes on in the country, what goes on in the church is not about you. 
It's about him. It's his new world. It's not your new world. You see, the message for the born-again child of God today is this, that we are going to find something that I think is going to redirect how we think. You see, it's not my world. It's not your world. It's his world. This is what he died for. He died to make this world. He rose to, to leave it in our care so that, we could, so that we could manage it under his rule that one day he can return to it. And when he returns to it, he'll have a bride that's spotless and clean. I'm going to point out before I launch into this text that this text tells us a lot of things that we're given. We're given a lot of things in this text. But I'll tell you, this is a difficult message to prepare because most commentators don't commentate on these verses. Oh, they do verse 8. That's, that's, that's kind of the turning point. When you get 9, 10, 11, they don't really commentate on it. You have to, and I, as I prayed through it, I'm just going to offer you four things in the context of this scripture that's given, okay? First of all, to everybody here who knows Christ is the assignment given. The assignment given. We find that in verse 8. I'm going to let them put that up there. Maybe. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and ends of the earth. We pretty well know that. But what I want to do, if you will allow me a little freedom... I'm going, to hit, I'm going to let them hit that space bar one more time, and we're going to put that in, in order. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just kind of set this verse up because some folks were not here last week. Verse 6 and verse 7, the disciples and the followers came to Jesus, and they asked questions about the political about the worldly, and about the carnal, if you will, about the temporal, about the political, the worldly, and the temporal. They asked, you know, when are you you going to restore Israel at this time? And Jesus basically told them it's none of their business. You see, there are some things we don't have to know about. And while they were wanting to talk about the political and, and the temporal and the worldly, he wanted to talk about... The spiritual, he wanted to talk about the eternal, and he wanted to talk about kingdom things. He said, guys, you don't have to know about this thing. You don't have to know about this thing. And then verse 8, as I have now just kind of rearranged it to help us see uh, logical order, he talks about, first of all, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence is that the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit comes in when we are saved, but Paul tells us, don't be drunk with wine, but be, can you talk? Be filled. Thank you. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If Jesus had just used the term baptism, be baptized with the Spirit, I don't care what you call it. Brother Jerry, you're going to be a Pentecostal. No, I'm going to be a Christian, a biblical Christian, because he tells us to get the Spirit. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And here's the thing. The presence of Christ is, is essential. The presence of that Holy Spirit in your life is essential if we're going to fulfill God's work. And when we get the presence of Christ, when the, when the presence of the Holy Spirit come on us, guess what comes with it? Power. Power. The power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indeed God. So when we get the Holy Spirit, 
We get the power of God in our lives. Without it, your life's going to sputter. Let me just, this is a bad illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. For goodness sakes, don't hold up your hand, but I know in this crowd that a lot of you have at some point in your life run out of gas. Some I know firsthand, run out of gas. You know, when your car gets low or runs out of gas, you know what your car does? It spits and it sputters and it dies. It spits and it sputters and dies. I didn't even think about you when I was writing this, all right? So spits and sputters and dies. Listen to me. If you're trying to follow Christ without the presence and the feeling of the Holy Spirit in your life, here's what's going to happen. Your life is going to spit, it's going to sputter, and it's going to die. You'll never be a part of this new world. You'll never be a part of, of the work and the, and, the, and the encouragement and the help for this new world. Without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you get the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, look what comes. It comes the purpose of your life. You'll be my witnesses. That is the purpose of the life of someone who's been saved. In the new world, our purpose is to be his witness for him and of him. And you, you nor I, I don't care how good you are, you nor I will ever be a witness for Christ in our own strength. We will never have impact here and around the world in our own strength. We will never do anything. We will not even be concerned about the world without the Holy Spirit in our lives. We won't even be concerned about our neighbors next door. If we choose to live, it in our, live in our own strength instead of with this, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit day in and day out. If we choose to do that, we will choose to have a life that's just spitting, sputtering, and one day we'll die. Why do you think so many people who used to, who've walked through the waters of baptism, who used to be a part of a local congregation are now sitting at home today? It's because they tried to do it without the power of the Holy Either they never were saved or they tried to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And they ran down. You see, these folks on the Mount of Olives, they heard Jesus speak. He gave us this assignment to be filled. He gave us the assignment of our, of our purpose to be witnesses. He gave us the assignment of our priority here, abroad, around the world. It's ours. Brother Jerry, I don't think so. Well, here's why you don't think so. It's because you're not filled with the Spirit. I've never found a Spirit-filled Christian who didn't have a burden for people. And I never have found someone that was a church member who didn't, have, who didn't have the Spirit who was concerned about people around the world. The assignment. Second thing I see here, and these others are, are simpler, the attention. The attention. This is what's given. The attention. They had received their assignment just like we have. And then it says, I think it's up here. It says, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. Taken up. I want you to get your heads around that. 
He didn't try to hide how he was going to heaven. Here's what happened. Are you ready? Do I have your attention? He's standing over here on the Mount of Olives, and he's preaching to, to 500 people. And you know what? He's preaching, and he says, um, um, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came. And you know what? He began to lift off. Would he have had your attention? I mean, if you stand there, don't look real super spiritual. If you stand in there and somebody's speaking and they begin to rise and they don't have a jet pack and they don't have uh, some strings, would they have your attention? Hello? That's right. And, and he began, kept rising and he kept rising. But it seems to me, as I read this scripture, that they might not have been shocked or surprised. Because when Jesus gives those words, it's almost like his last will and testament to these people who were following him. <laughs> and they knew something was going to happen. They sensed something. They sensed something in his spirit. They sensed something in the inflection of his words. And they knew that Jesus had something for them, and they surely didn't miss it. So they were watching. They were attentive to Jesus. They were looking at Jesus. And the only disappointing part of the whole day was that when Jesus was out of sight, he was gone. He was gone. But you know what they did? I don't want you to miss this. They paid attention of him going away, and they were given a preview of things to come. That he was coming back. You see, you see, I want to ask you this question today. What are you paying attention to today? What are you watching the world's falling apart. Have you, have you figured that out? world's falling apart. Could it be that we are so focused on the human problems that we have not watched the divine things that are unfolding before our very eyes? And now some of, some of you walk away and say, you must not care. So the obvious questions you want to ask me, Brother Jerry... Are you not concerned about these things in the world? And yes, we, yeah, I am. I'm concerned. How about in this country, things in this country? Yep, more than you know. How about even in this county? Without a doubt. But I'm concerned, but I am not worrying and fretting about it. Because these things, no matter how bad they get today, is not the center of my focus. My focus is on the Lord and His new world. You know what I want to challenge you to do? I want you to spend as much time reading and absorbing and meditating on His word as you do on what Fox broadcasts or what Yahoo puts out or what's on Facebook. You see, if we put as much time on his word, then we'll get a handle on a couple of things. Let me just give you a couple of things we can get a handle on. Number one, you'll get a handle on what God's doing so you don't miss out on what God's doing. And I'm just going to tell you this. You know it. Number two, nothing has surprised God. Hello? <laughs> he never has to say, I never thought of that. Or he never says, I was thinking the other day. Or, or he never says, really? You see, he's not surprised. He's the king. 
But I'm going to give you one statement before I pass this point. Things, this is a positive statement. I told first hour they wanted me to be positive, so I'm going to be positive. I'm positive about this. Things may get worse before they get better. That's what the Bible says. This world is on a collision course with itself. It's on a collision course with its creator. And it's not going to be pretty. If we focus on the things of this world, we'll lose our focus on the things of the Lord and his word and his will and his way and his assignment. Our attention should be on him because he is indeed the king. This is his world. And if you have made a decision to follow him, I didn't say if you made a decision to come sit on Sunday. I didn't say if you made a decision to be baptized. I didn't say if you made a decision to be a church member. I said if you've made a decision to follow him, you can and will follow him to victory. The attention given. That's what they did. They gave him attention until he was out of their sight. And then, watch this. God himself affirms Jesus. So that's the affirmation given. That should be next, I think, guys. Yeah. Here's what's happening. Here's the story. They were watching Jesus. And as they watched Jesus get up here, the 500, all of a sudden, that word suddenly, two men in white clothes are standing there. Would that have gotten your attention? Ha! Oh, come on. You're not that stoic today. Would that have gotten your attention? I mean, you're sitting here watching something supernatural, and you're going, how did he do that? And all of a sudden, there are two men here. Would you have paid attention to what they were doing, what they were saying? I mean, when I, when I was in my study, and I was literally reading it again, probably for the 40th time, and all of a sudden, I thought, man, their eyes were focused in rapt attention of what's going on. And two men just appeared, and I got a chill down my spine, Brock. Something supernatural going on. It's kind of like walking into a grave, a tomb, and the clothes that were wrapped the body were still laying there, kind of like they did with Jesus. I don't know what those girls, ladies, would have done. I don't know. I, you know, the, the disciples ran to the tomb. I'm telling you, I might have ran from the tomb. Y'all got what I'm telling you? I mean, the, the only thing I can compare to it is that I worked in a funeral home for two years. And the only thing I can compare to that is that if I walk into the prep room and that body's supposed to be on that prep table sitting over in the chair. Y'all with me? It's that type of event. Something is going on. But here's what I will tell you. Had I been in the crowd that day watching Jesus ascend and two men appeared, you know what I'd have done? That had my full attention. I would have listened to everything they said. I mean, they begin with a why question. Is that up here? May not be. There you go. Here's their why question. Why do you stand here looking into... I begin with a why question. The why question goes on today. In the church today. Why are you just sitting around? Why are you doing what you do? Why do you not do... Jesus asked, why do you not do what I told you to do? 
Why do you talk like Jesus is Lord of your life and live like this is your world and you're the Lord of your life? I'm listening to a book by Louis Giglio, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. He's basing some of that on the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He said some of us live like I am my shepherd. You see, the truth is, is that is that we have to answer, why do we do what we do? Why are you looking to heaven? They were trying to get probably another glimpse of Jesus. And then he was affirmed by these two angelic type men standing here. But then, but then, they said, why y'all keep looking up there? He's gone. Hello? He's gone. Don't you know that the angels in heaven got tired of saying he's gone at the tomb? Why are you seek the living among the dead? He's gone. And these two now on the Mount of Olives, why are y'all looking up there? He's gone. And then they played the trump card. Are y'all listening? This same Jesus. Did you hear that? This same Jesus. Did y'all get that? These men said, this same Jesus. This world is not your home. It's his. This world is his home. They said, this same Jesus. Are you getting it? This same Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose and ascended and gave us the assignment. This same Jesus who cast out demons, who calmed the sea, who gave sight to the blind, who healed the sick, raised the dead, fed the multitude. This same Jesus is the Son of God. It is this same Jesus. Get your mind around this same Jesus. The one you've just seen go away, man, he's going to come back just like he did. And that gets us to the last point, the assurance given. The assurance given. They assured, they were assured that Jesus was coming back. And he was coming back just like he went away. Folks, here's what I want to tell you today in 2022. You may not believe it. We used to sing much about it in the 70s and the 80s. You may not believe it today, but Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. If he doesn't come, he's going to have to apologize to somebody because this world is really getting out of order. It may get worse before he gets here. But Jesus is coming. He's coming to this world. He's coming to claim his bride. He's coming like a wedding. A wedding, Brother Jerry? You just lost me. I knew I'd lose you, so let me explain it. Over here in the West, weddings are all about the bride. All about the bride. Don't cut your eyes around that woman. I saw that. I saw that. It's all about the bride. Everything has to do with the bride. That's over here in the West. In the East, not so. In the East, it's all about the groom. Now, I'm going to paint this picture for you of how it happens. Some of you will know it, but I'm going to refresh your memory. And all of this makes sense now. The Bible says Jesus is coming one day to claim his bride. Those who were given this assignment. Those who put their attention on him. Here's the way it happened. The bride was at her daddy's house. Daddy protecting the daughter. You probably understand that, don't you? I thought so. Yeah, daddy protecting the daughter. Over here is the groom's house. Me, man. 
You remember the story of the foolish and wise virgins? And they had lanterns. The reason those virgins, those people had lanterns was literally to light the way because the, at the appointed hour, the groom would load up all of his people and he would make this trek to his bride's daddy's house where he would literally retrieve his bride for the party that began. And it was a party. Do you know that's exactly the picture that Jesus wants us to have? He's back in his father's house. We're his bride. One day he's going to split the sky. And he's going to come back here to his world to claim his bride. He's going to claim those of us. Are you listening? Those of us who are left to care for his new world. Oh, there'll be some explaining to do because he left us to care for it. He left us to cultivate it. He left us to work it. He left us to spread his message. He left us to be ready for him. And here's what I want to say to you. And when he comes, it'll be too late like those foolish virgins. And the door will be locked. I dare say in a crowd this size, There is someone here today that if Jesus were to come back before we walked out the building, and he could, that you'd be left. Are you ready for his return? Oh, I'm ready to go to heaven. Yeah, fine. Are you ready to stand face to face with the one who has given us this assignment, who laid down his life to save us? Are you ready to stand face to face and give an account? He is the king. We are his people. We are his creation. And if we've been born again, we are his children. Part of his bride. How about you? How about you? Oh, Brother Jerry, I'm good. I've heard that before. I've heard people say that. If you had to say it to him, would he buy it? Because he knows you better than you know yourself. Let's pray together.